As you remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, open them, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 9. And as we have noted all through this study, there's very deep theology uh, located in this book. And if we're not careful, we can overlook quite a bit that's being said to us uh, by simply passing through the familiar. Now, whenever something is recorded in the Word of God, it's something that we need to pay attention to. When it's recorded in the Word of God multiple times, it's something that ought to arrest our attention. And the writer of Hebrews does this as he is uh, trying to convey quite clearly, he is conveying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as Savior. There is nothing else or nowhere else that we can turn. And he is communicating this, and all through this letter, he has been using very strong language. And we're going to be introduced to another portion of this uh, this morning, where he really starts to rein in on certain words. Look with me, if you would, at chapter number 9, verse 23, and we're going to read through into the first four verses of chapter 10. Look with me, if you would, please. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, he's making reference to verse 22 and uh, the blood that is being shed as it was talked about in the previous verses. Look at verse 24 with me. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For this must he often have suffered, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that looked for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, are not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices uh, which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. I want you to note again that verse uh, number two there. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. Father, give us wisdom as we get into your word. Father, that you would hide us behind the cross of Christ. 
And Father, the things that I would say would not be my own thoughts or my own words, but Father, that I would convey the very heart of your Scripture. Father, that you would give me wisdom where I lack. And Father, I cannot lead well or guide well your people except your Holy Spirit do something to me, through me, and in me. So Father, I ask that you would reign supreme in everything that is said and done today. Father, no spotlight would be put on anything or anyone but the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and, Father, open our lives to the application of your truth. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been making our way through this, we find ourselves here at the end of chapter 9, leading into chapter number 10. So we're rounding third and getting ready to head home, so to speak. Chapter 10 will take us uh, several weeks to get through, but this is one of those areas of Scripture that I believe that the chapter and verse divisions really do us no justice because we we find ourselves at the end of chapter number 9 leading into chapter number 10. uh, We find ourselves in a connected portion of Scripture. And so often we divorce the two chapters from one another, but remember that this is all part and parcel of the same message. As the writer of Hebrews, as he was putting together uh, this written message, he's using some very strong language all throughout this, this epistle. If you were to have someone write you a letter and they used certain words, and we always say things like, don't, don't deal with absolutes, right? You never say never, right? But if you had someone writing to you a letter, and they were using some very absolute terms in what they were saying to you, it would convey a whole different thought than someone using vague terminology. And so what we find here with this is several words that have been put forth throughout this letter that are very strong, and words that really have no other direction to go. And so some words such as eternal. You know, the last time I checked, eternal simply meant eternal, without end, never to stop, never to cease. We find the word eternal mentioned in chapter 5, verse 9, chapter 6, verse 2, chapter 9, verses 12, 14, and 15. We find another word that is used over and again. Thirteen times the word better is used in all the book of Hebrews. I think he's trying to convey something here that Jesus is better. You'll find it in chapter number 1, verse 4, 6, 9, 7, verses 7, 19, 22, 8, verse 6, 9, 23, and here in chapter number 10, and I'd like to look at that one in chapter number 10 uh, so that we can uh, catch the... uh, Uh, the whole picture, look at chapter 10, verse 34. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. 
Now, I want us to keep that in mind, that idea of something that is better. And, I, you know, uh, Dr. Desai and Brother Jeff were just uh, mentioning to us this, uh, this persecution that is taking place in other parts of the world. This is something that we ought to hurt for. This is something that we ought to understand is something that is very painful that is going on. But let us be also reminded as they are reminded. What what causes people to willingly go through this type of persecution? The understanding and the promise of something better. Something better. How could the early church go through the martyrdom that it did? They knew something better was coming. How could the uh, Apostle Paul place his head on the chopping block to let his head be severed from the rest of his body, willingly going to Rome, knowing that this was what was awaiting him? Because he knew something better was coming. How could the disciples willingly allow themselves to be martyred in such brutal ways? Because they knew something better was coming. Go back now to chapter number 9 and look at verse 23. Speaking of the blood of the testament, of the, uh, of the uh, um, verse number 20, this is the blood of the New Testament. Look at verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Again, there's that word, better. Not only eternal and better are, are used over and again in very strong words, but there's another word that's used, the word forever. We see this all throughout uh, the, uh, the book, talking about something that has been settled or taken care of forever. You see another word that's used, the word perfect. Perfect, I love that word, the word perfect. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never without those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the the attempts in the Old Testament day could never get it done. They could try it, and they did over and over again. But perfection never came until Jesus When Jesus entered the scene, (laughs) we knew something better had just arrived. When Jesus laid his life down, we knew something better had just taken place. And the sacrifice, perfect, perfect. Over 12 times in the book of Hebrews is the word perfect used. But there's another word that is used, and we see this over and again in our current text. The word once. Once. I love it. And after today, I pray that you too will have a whole new appreciation for this four-letter word. Once. I guess to give us a question to kind of kick things off this morning, uh, I I didn't know really how to go about this, but I thought this is really kind of where everything kept coming back as I was studying for this morning's message. And it's simply this question, is eternal security really that important of a doctrine? 
And so, you know, the, the idea that someone can be saved and lose their salvation or that someone can be saved and, get, and, and never lose their salvation, is it really that important? And so as I was combing through these, uh, uh, these uh, verses and getting everything ready, it just kept coming back to that. And so that's really kind of where we're going to camp on this morning. You see, the preacher here sheds light on something that is critical by the use of the term once. Something that is of very critical nature, and that is the doctrine of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation and how that doctrine hinges upon the person of Jesus Christ. And this is where we really want to kind of put a, a, a pin in, a finalization to where we look at it and we, we nail it down, we get everything as, as close as we possibly can. I want you to notice what's going on with this. The doctrine of salvation hinges on the idea that a person places their trust in one other's completed work. One other individual's finished sacrifice. Now, let's take a look at just a few things this morning, uh, and we're going to exegete the Scripture. We're going to go through the exegesis of the text bit by bit, and then we're going to make application to it. Because the question really comes down to this, if Christ is enough, nothing more can be done. But if Christ is not enough, we are hopeless. Now, I'm, I'm putting out one of these uh, bold statements. If Christ is enough, what else can we do? But if Christ is not enough, there's nothing we can do. This is where we're going to kind of base everything this morning. Look at chapter number, uh, chapter number 9, verse 23. And let's go through each of these verses quickly. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but that the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, the heavenly things cleansed by Jesus, there's a couple things that we, uh, we look at. There's a lot in this passage that many people will disagree with. They will take one side over another side. There's, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I'm going to just give you basically my understanding, the best way that I can help put this out, where it says that it was therefore necessary that patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but that the heavenly things themselves. Now, remember, we're talking about the patterns versus the real. We're talking about the what was picturing the reality versus the reality itself. And so we come into this, and you're going to see that everything in the Old Testament was a picture of what was to come. Uh, verse number 24 says, For the Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the true. And so the holy place that we had before was a figure, was something that was uh, looking ahead. It was not the reality. But the, there was a reality, and Christ did enter into that place. And you're going to notice there in verse 23 again, but it says, But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And so you have the idea that you have the physical realm and you have the spiritual realm. 
And so many different, again, many different ideas and interpretations in this, but what really I believe is being brought to mind is you have the physical being cleansed, but the eternal, the spiritual needed to be changed as well. And so my physical had the blood applied, so to speak, but it wasn't until better things came along that my spiritual was able to be cleansed. And so you had the application in the Old Testament, the things that I did, I was covered physically speaking, but there was a spiritual aspect that needed to be taken care of. Now, some can also take this uh, to believe, uh, to say that because sin began in the heavenlies, that there needed to be a cleansing taking place there as well. And if you, this is not saying that sin originated with God, but what it is saying is that Satan himself, when he fell, he fell from heaven. And so some will take this to teach that what you're actually seeing here is that Jesus had to cleanse not only the things on earth, but the things in heaven. I think that we're leaning actually a little bit more toward the ability to approach God. Physically speaking, in the Old Testament days, for me to be able to approach him required a sacrifice. Once that sacrifice was made and that blood was sprinkled, I could then have my petitions brought to the Lord. But now that Christ has died, and that the sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, a more spiritual, a heavenly sacrifice, a better sacrifice. Come. Now, not only do I have the ability to approach him here on earth, but I've got the ability now to approach him in the heavenly realms as well. This is a beautiful thing. For me to be able to have access, to be able to boldly come before the Father, to be able to enter into His presence with thanksgiving, not just in, in a mere uh, uh, idea or metaphorical sense, but I have the reality today to be in the very presence of God. This is not something small, my friends, and I'm tired of so many people belittling the idea that we get to be, well, I get to talk to the man upstairs. No, my friend, I get the privilege, the opportunity, the blessedness of being able to approach the creator of everything. That's a big deal. And so many people, they never get the idea of how awesome that privilege is. Verse 24 talks about the tabernacle on earth picturing what was really in heaven. Some believe that it was kind of metaphorical in nature. But there it says the, the, the things which were the figures of the true. So I don't believe that it was metaphorical. I believe what we had in the tabernacle was a picture of what was really happening in heaven. And when Jesus told Mary, don't cling to me, I have not yet ascended to my father, he was performing the high priestly office of entering into the heavenlies as priest and the blood sacrifice. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. It says, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. 
For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We're going to deal with that idea of putting away sin here in just a moment. But I want you to notice the repetitive nature of the sacrifices, the offerings. These repetitive offerings were an object lesson, so to speak. And so what was going on in the Old Testament days, these sacrifices would come. They would be presented repeatedly over and over again. It was an object lesson. Let me show you. And forgive the crass analogy, but how many times have you watched a preview for coming attractions? You see the trailer for a movie, or you see a commercial for something that's getting ready to go on. But then when you actually see the event, and it's here, no more waiting, coming June 4th, 2029. I don't know, it's like nothing happens anymore this year. Everything's waiting. Coming soon to a theater near you. Coming soon to your hometown, right? But then when the actual happens, the commercials kind of stop, don't they? Once it's come, it's been here, it's done. No more need for the preview, is it? This was the Old Testament sacrifices. These were the repetitive object lessons of what was actually to come. They pointed ahead, much in the same way that we, with the gospel today, when we, pro, when we proclaim, we rehearse the gospel, we talk about Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. This week, the children are getting the, uh, the, sto- the, the story, I don't want to use the word story, the account of Jesus going to the cross, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're hearing of the gospel today. And so you're going to be able to tie a lot of stuff together for them later on. When we do this, we are pointing back much the same way the Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward. Both of them pointed to the same thing, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27 with me. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. I want you to notice this in here because there's a lot of bad teaching (laughs) that comes from this verse if we're not careful. You see, God has set your date. No, that's not what is being said here. Death is a natural part of life. That's what's being said here. It's appointed unto men once to die. Well, not me, preacher. I died and was resuscitated. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. The focus is not on the once dying. The focus is on the next part. Notice what it says. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after that, judgment. There's your focus. My friend, what takes place after death? Judgment. I was speaking with someone not too long ago, talking about, well, No, people when they die, if they're not truly saved, they go to this prison and they're held in prison until they decide they are going to get saved. Haven't found it yet, still looking. And I said, where in the world do you get that? And they said, well, this is where everything 
hinges on the fact that when they're in the prison, then they get that one last opportunity. No, 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 my friend. What idiot, when they go to prison and they realize they were wrong, wouldn't just change? That's foolishness. My Bible doesn't say it is appointed unto men once to die, then they go to prison, and after they've sat in prison for a few years and they decide that they like Jesus again, then they're going to get saved, and then they get to go to that. It's not what it says. It says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, judgment. The moment you slip into eternity, you face God. The moment. The question of that appointment which you have an appointment with the judge, the righteous judge. That appointment is the moment that you slip out of this world and into the next. The question is, will you face judgment yourself or will you allow Jesus Christ to face it for you? That's the question. More about this in just a moment. Look at verse 28 with me, the first part of it. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter number 1. I want you to see something else in keeping with what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. John chapter number 1. Look at verse 29 with me. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Mark this. If you mark in your Bible, you underline, you highlight, this is one that ought to be that way. And said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I want you to note something that we quickly can read past. That's not old language. That is singular sin. That term, taketh away the sin of the world, he's not saying taketh away the sins. In in God's view, it is all lumped together as one whole. Your sin, my sin, your big sin, your little sin, my big sins, my little sins. All sins were taken away by Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, is we look and we see, okay, I don't understand because if the sin has been taken away, why do I still struggle with sin? I'm glad you asked. Let's take take a better understanding of what's going on here. The question is about will you allow him to take it away? I thought about it and I was this close to trying to find a way to do it, but I wasn't sure how big of a hole I would have to cut in the side of the building. And I didn't think the deacons would be happy with me if I did that. But I would like to have brought in a car. And I would take the jack and jack up the car, right? And so you get that car nice and high. 
Anybody ever, you know, wanted to change the brakes on their car, they jack up the jack, and then they just crawl underneath? What do you put under there? Anybody? Blocks? Jack stands? You're putting something under there because I don't trust that jack. Especially, I got three kids running around, and one of them's bound to come up and lean on it, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. No, we put jack stands under it. Maybe I'm the only one, but we want something up there holding it up, right? As you get that propped up and you get that jack and you lifted that car up, then you take those jack stands and you put them in the right place and you loosen the tension off that jack and all the weight comes down on those jack stands. All of it is resting right there. It's not on that jack anymore. Matter of fact, you can pull that jack right out. The jack's not doing anything. It's not supporting it anymore. The weight is off the jack. You and my, my friend, were encumbered with the weight of sin. But Jesus took it all. Not just some of it. Not even most of it. Every last bit of it. The question, my friend, is not whether or not Jesus is taking the, the guilt and the shame and the burden. It's are you willing to give it up? Because I can prop that up and use that jack and get it and get that car lifted up so that I'm ready to change the oil or change the brakes or whatever I'm going to do. And then I can put those jack stands under. But until I let go of the pressure on the jack and put the faith in the jack stands, the jack's still holding the weight. What's the purpose of the jack stands? Just sitting there. Waiting, going, uh, you can let that down now. I got it. I'm good. You can, well, no, I'm going to hold it myself. No, 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 my friend. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Go back to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter number 10, or Hebrews chapter number 9. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins. This is why Christ came to die. To take that burden from you. You see, the tabernacle on earth pictured the reality of heaven. And, and the whole question coming back to Christ, if he is enough, then there's nothing more that can be done. If he truly is, if he's enough, nothing more can be done. I want you to notice also the second part of verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and unto them that looked for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. See, the second time that he appears, he will not uh, come to bear it again, but he will come without it. 
that's beautiful. When he returns the second time, it's not to bear sins once more. It is glorified and to glorify. Now, you and I, my friend, we still struggle with sin. But we have an advocate. Those jack stands are holding that weight. When I fail, my strength gives out. The jack stand never does. When I'm burdened by the weight of sin, <laughs> the jack stand isn't. He's got it all under control. And when I fail and I mess up and I do regularly, he is still there going, I've got it under control. When I sin, I do not erase what he has done. He doesn't go, well, you need to bring the jack out because I'm letting go now. No, my friend. He's still standing there the whole time going, yep, got that one too. Yep, I can hold the guilt and the shame and the weight of that one also. Yes, I know you just said something wrong. Yes, I know you just did something wrong. Yes, I know you just failed. Yes, I know you weren't showing me. But guess what? My son, my daughter, I'm still strong enough and I've got it under control. There's a word that is used here for looking. This is those that look for him. It's the word that means eager expectation. They anticipate. They're looking forward to. They're not sitting at home waiting for another chance. They're not sitting at home ignoring things. You read the book of First Thessalonians, you almost get the picture that they were coming to church just so that they would be at church when he came back. And they were looking, okay, well, we're here, we're singing his praises. They weren't sitting at home wasting time. They were occupying their place until he came. Now, this removes any idea of universal salvation. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. They ain't looking, he ain't appearing. People say, well, no, I think everybody was going to get a second chance. No, 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 my friend. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, judgment. So let's look at the application here. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Look at verses 1 through 4. We're not going to read them for time's sake. You can read those on your own time. Let me just give you the exp exposition of it. Nothing can be made pure by the works of of man's hands. Nothing can. This was proven by the repetitive nature of the Old Testament sacrifice. It had to be done over and over and over again. It wasn't perfected. And so we come back again to the idea that if Christ is not able to save, 
then the only thing awaiting people is judgment. That's it. And so either he can save or we're going to face judgment alone. Some may say that he paid for the past sins, but we are responsible for the rest. No, my friend. You remember John? Takes away the sin of the world. All of it. One lump sum. You see, the application is is this. Do not so quickly gravitate to the pictures, but cling to the actual. You see, Jesus is the reality. It says the blood of bulls and goats, these were just pictures of the reality. Baptism, my friend, is just a picture of the reality. Baptism does not save you. It just pictures what took place. The Lord's table is a picture of the reality. It's not something that saves an individual. It is something that simply pictures. You see, Jesus' sacrifice was the final need of man, and he is the perfect sacrifice, completed sacrifice. You and I, my friend, can add nothing to it. He's able to save the complete, uttermost portion of it. As far as you can imagine, he's able to save. And so the question comes in then, how will you face the judgment of God? You see, if it's appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Man has an appointment. You have an appointment. One of these days, you, my friend, are going to face God. The question is, are you going to face this judgment on your own merit? or on Jesus' perfect sacrifice. I would much rather face God through His Son's perfect record. (laughs) You'll say, well, I think my good will outweigh my bad. You sure about that? Let's just broadcast for everyone to see the thoughts that you have had in the last 24 hours. And let's vote on whether the good outweighs the bad. That's not going to work out too well, is it? You see, Jesus came to take away sin, not just to forgive. He came to bear it all. He came to remove the burden of guilt and shame, to hold it in your place, to assume the responsibility. You and I, my friend, are sinners in and deserving of hell. But Jesus says, I'll bear that load for you. I'll take it. In 1 Peter 2.24 it lets us know it's not just for the people looking to get out of trouble who his own self bear sins in his own body on the tree that we being what? Dead to sins should what? Live unto righteousness. 
Catch this. This is not a doctrine for people who just want to sit around and be lazy and do nothing and never contribute. This is a doctrine that he took the burden and the shame and he, he, he covered it all. He upholds it all. He keeps me from having to face God and, and, and answer to that judgment on my own merit. He died for me so that I wouldn't have to die. And guess what? I'm going to live the way I should live because of him. So often people will say, oh, praise the Lord. There's nothing I have to do. See you next year. No, no. Jesus came to give you a new life. Let me ask you this way. How many of your sins, it's 2021, almost 2,000 years ago, Christ died for your sins. How many of your sins were in the past? How many of your sins were future tense compared to the cross? Half of them? A couple people. All of them. And so for me to say, well, Jesus died for my sins that are in my past. No, my friend, he died for all of them. Every single sin you have ever committed, ever are committing, or ever will commit is future tense to Jesus. He's outside of time. And he purposed from the, from the foundations of the world, he purposed to pay for it all. So as we come to the conclusion of this, let me just ask you a couple questions. Number one, are you looking for a way to continue to live however you want, punishment free? This is not salvation. Are you looking for, a, for an excuse or something to justify? It's not salvation. Are you looking for a reason to continue to be however you want to be? It's not salvation. But are you looking to overcome sin in your life? Are you looking to have a relationship with the one who can save you? Then look to Jesus. This is what he claimed to do. I came to give you life. He promised to give us new hearts. He promised to be with us and to empower us and to strengthen us. He didn't promise, I'm going to just give you a home in heaven and you can go home fat, dumb, and happy and sit around and do jack squat. He said, I came to make you new. So we started with, is the doctrine of eternal security really that important of a doctrine? You tell me. If I get it today and lose it tomorrow, 
Is he holding it all? Or is he just holding some of it and the rest is your responsibility? That's not a God that took away. He took every single bit. So those of us who are born again by the Spirit of God, we can rest. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I had a buddy that was changing his brakes and the jack gave out. And that rotor came right through his calf. He was in the hospital for a long time. Ever since then, anytime I'm dealing with a car up on, up, up, I'm just, woo. But there's something so peaceful about putting those jack stands under the car and taking the, taking the pressure off the jack. And then you, I don't just put the jack, I mean, I'm, I'm going around and I'm pushing the car, making sure that it's, it. I ain't, you know. Somebody else says, hey, put the jack on, I put the car on jack stands. Mm-hmm, I'll, I'll redo it. I've I've seen you dress. You want me to let you do that? Buttons all crooked and everything. But when I know it's secure, I'll put my whole body under there. And I can rest. If I don't know it's secure, I don't rest. Is your salvation secure? Mine is. And I get good rest with that. Father, we come before You thankful beyond words that we have A Savior who is perfect. We have a salvation that is eternal. We have a hope that is sure and steadfast. Father, help us to live that way. Help us to live lives revealing what we claim to believe. Not living lives entrapped to legalism, but Father, living lives enslaved to You because we love You. We are so thankful, Father, that we can rest assured that all is covered and under the blood. Thank You for that. Now, Father, there may be some here today who do not know You as their Savior. I'm not so naive to think that everyone is a born-again believer. And so, Father, I want You to do something. I'm asking, I'm begging, not because of myself, but because of Your Son's sacrifice. That is that You would burden the hearts of those who do not truly know You as Savior. That You would woo them unto Yourself. That You would call them unto repentance. Father, Forgive us for not living lives of righteousness. Father, for those who are born again by the Spirit of God but maybe have not been living like it, I pray that You would 
affect their heart. And Father, that you would call to remembrance things that have not been very Christ-honoring. That they would confess them. Praise God that they are also under the blood. And grow from them. We pray that you would be pleased in our offering and our sacrifice this morning. And that you would draw us closer to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.